So how are you? How many times have you been asked that question this morning? How are you? I was actually, I was going to try to count. And I'm sorry, if the children have not already gone, they, they may go to the children's church now. Uh, I tried to count how many times I was either asked, how are you, or how you doing? Or how many times I asked other people, how are you, how you doing? I tried to gauge what the answers were. The answers were fine, pretty good, hanging in there. Or sometimes just, uh, how are you? Just didn't even answer, just, how are you? Because really all we're saying is hi. But you don't hear people walk down the hall and say hi. They say, how are you? That's just hello. How are you? And when people answer at church, the answer is fine. Great. <laughs> Doing just fine. Well, we're going to read a psalm today. It's Psalm 143. Our study today will be entirely in that, that one psalm. I'm not going to jump around. There's enough in there for us. And in Psalm 143, we encounter David, and he is not doing fine. He's not doing very well at all. So this psalm and this sermon is for you if you're not really doing fine. How differently would your church conversations look if you answered thoroughly and honestly every time someone said, how you doing? Y'all probably still all be out in the hallways talking right now. So what we're going to see here is David not doing fine. And this is a prayer song. So we know when we're not doing okay, when we're not doing well, we ought to pray. If you've grown up in church, you know you, ought to, you should pray. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we're not doing well, when we're struggling, when it's hard, prayer doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes we just don't know what to pray. So we've been given a precious gift in this psalm. We get a chance to eavesdrop on David's praying when his life is hard. Have you ever just wondered, well, what do these people pray when they pray? Well, here's our chance. We get to see what David prays when life is hard. So we're going to read the whole psalm together, starting at verse 1. Psalm 143. David writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight no man is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me and my heart is appalled within me. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched lamb. Selah. Answer me quickly, O my Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. So how's David doing? 
Look at verse 7. I'm sorry, not verse 7. Verse 3. Here's how David's doing. David feels as though the enemy has persecuted and opposed him to his very soul. That's deeper than just circumstantial or physical. He feels opposed to his very soul. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He feels like there's nothing left standing in his life. He's been crushed down to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. That may be literal. Sometimes David had to hide from his enemies in caves. Maybe he was in a cave when he wrote this. We don't know. At any rate, he feels like there's just no life, no light around him. He's living like a dead man. He's basically living out dead with no light. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. It's all just too much. Overwhelmed. Can any of you relate to that? Maybe you're not having to live in a cave right now. But can any of you relate to just feeling overwhelmed? It's just too much. That's where David is right now. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. Another way that word appalled can be translated is is desolate. It's as though everything has been stripped from his heart. It's empty. In there. Desolate. So if we saw David in the hall and we said, Hey David, how are you doing? He might say, fine. Or he might say, I'm not doing so great. I'm feeling crushed. I'm feeling dark. I'm just living in darkness. I can't even see my hand in front of my face. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling empty. This is David. This is the man after God's own heart. You remember David, the the little boy that God used to slay Goliath. King of Israel. Man after God's own heart. Wrote most of the Psalms. And here he is, doing so poorly. So how are you doing? Fine. Great. All the while, our email inboxes are slowly filling up with the prayer request emails of people just struggling, sick, devastated, tragedy. How you doing? I'm fine, doing good. How are you? All the while, families are struggling. People have anxieties and fears raging in them beneath the surface. How you doing? Fine, doing good. We need to stop here. We just need to stop everything here for a second. Before we go on, the topic of this sermon, the title was How to Pray When Life is Hard. We are going to talk about that. But we need to stop everything here and expose a lie that Satan has breathed into our churches. And the lie is this. Church is for good people who are doing fine. Church is for good people who are doing fine. That is a lie from Satan. Church is for sinners who are desperate. Satan wants you to believe Duel's Grove is for good people who are doing fine. And it would be weird if anyone knew what was really going on in your heart. It would just be weird. And so, churches become these, these houses of really pleasant deception. Where everything's fine, everything's good, everybody's doing good. Smiling faces with weeping beneath the surface. 
laughter in the hallways, wailing in the car on the way home. What a free show. Jesus didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous, he came for the sinners. How can it be, some of you may be wondering, where is all this coming from? How can it be that in my counseling, individual after individual, family after family, is struggling? I just trying to hang on. Just don't even understand what's happening to them. Things are falling apart. And nobody knows about any of them. And everybody feels like they're the only ones. Because we come here and we're fine, we're good, we're doing great. So we hide in church, we hide what's really going on in church. And no one knows. And we look for help elsewhere. I did a little research. I tried to think if David were here today, he was feeling this way. And he turned for help, maybe someplace that people usually turn for help here. What kind of advice would we get? So, I went to the first place I always go, WebMD. Does anybody know what WebMD is? Just a couple people? WebMD is great. Anytime you have symptoms, you go to WebMD, you start typing them in, and it will diagnose you. And I assume that it is, it's every bit as good as an actual doctor. So I went to WebMD, and I researched David's symptoms. He feels crushed. He feels in darkness. He feels overwhelmed. He feels empty. So, the recommendation is you need to go see a counselor. Hopefully that counselor will enable you to medicate your disease because you are sick and you need pills. If David were alive today, most likely the diagnosis would be you have a disease that needs to be medicated. Or, I did some more research. I thought, well, who else might know? Who else could David turn to? I went to Oprah.com. <laughs> Is everybody laughing? <laughs> Oprah and her constellation of uh, self-help gurus that orbit around her, their advice seemed to be, no, it's not a disease. That was Deepak Chakra's uh, take on it. I don't know if y'all know who he is. He says, no, I, I don't think it's a disease. And he cites all these studies that, you know, the pills help maybe about 50% of the time, almost the same as a placebo pill. I don't think it's a disease. I think it's an unfortunate habit that you've developed of negative thinking. You've learned through childhood to respond negatively in your thinking to stress factors so that neural pathways have developed. And you need to redirect those neural pathways with positive thinking. So with mental willpower, change how you're thinking. So, WebMD, and I assume... Popular psychology, I'm not a psychologist, would tell David, if you have a disease, be medicated. Oprah and her cronies would say, no, you have an unfortunate pattern of thinking that you need to counteract with positive thinking. But David gives a Holy Spirit-inspired diagnosis in verse 6. He's feeling opposed, crushed, dark, overwhelmed, empty. In verse 6, my soul longs for you as a parched land. David doesn't view all this like a disease to be medicated or a 
thought pattern would be changed, he views it as a thirst to be satisfied. A longing that only God could fulfill. A thirst for God. Did you notice anything wrong with the picture of what two of the most popular schools of thought had to offer for someone struggling? What was missing? God. God was missing. God who created us. The God that our whole lives are supposed to be oriented around. Missing. David sees it differently. He sees his real struggle. And he had very real tangible problems. He was, people probably were trying to track him down and kill him. He sees his real problem is, I am like a desert. Parched. Thirsty. For God. So instead of decorating his desert with fake plants... He turns to the irrigation system that is prayer. So how does David pray when life is hard? That's what the main point of this sermon is. Before we look at what he actually says, what he asks, let's look at the beginning of the chapter and just his general attitude entering prayer. How should we pray when life is hard? I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight no man living is righteous. I see kind of three things that stand out to me in his just general attitude. First, he's expectant. He's expecting answers. He's expecting help. From God. He says, hear my prayer. Give ear. Answer me. And it's based in God's faithfulness and His righteousness. He's expected and He's trusted. He's trusting this is a good God. A righteous God. And a powerful God who will help. He'll answer. So He comes in with expectation and hope. And then in verse 2. But do not enter into judgment with me. For in your sight, no living man is righteous. He comes in with expectation. He comes in with hope and trust. And he comes in with reverence. Because he's talking to God. The Holy God. He doesn't come in demanding anything. It's only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we can pray at all. So we come to God with a humble and reverent expectation, knowing that we are talking to a good and powerful God who can help. We're not filling out a cold request form. We're not proudly declaring our rights. It's not some crazy out-of-body hysterics. It's not monkish piety where you put on a robe and, and drink green tea and look serene. It's not religious formality. It's just humble, desperate prayer of a child to his father with the belief that he can help. So that's his attitude going in. Now, I want to look at what he asks. Because often when I think of prayer, I think, well, what are the mechanics of it, though? What do I say? What do I ask for? Let's see what David asks for. In verse 7, he says, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. He just expresses the urgency Help me quick. My spirit is failing. That's the first thing he asks. He asks ten things. Answer me quickly. 
Do not hide your face from me. In other words, be attentive to me. Please answer quickly and be attentive to me. Or I'll become like those who go down to the pit. The third one, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning. Let me sense your love as a new day begins. Right now I'm not sensing. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning for I trust in you. The fourth thing, teach me the way in which I should walk. I don't know what to do. Teach me the way to go. What doors do I go through? For to you I lift up my soul. Fifth thing, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Sixth, teach me to do your will. I don't even know how to do your will. Teach me. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Right now my ground is unlevel. I can't even hardly walk straight without falling. Just set my feet so I can at least stand and, and try to tackle this thing. For the sake of your name, O oh Lord, revive me. Bring life back into me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies. And destroy those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. Answer me quickly. Be attentive to me. Let me sense your love. Teach me the way to walk. Deliver me. Teach me to do your will. Lead me on level ground. Revive me. Get me out of this trouble. Cut off my enemies. Those are the things he asks for. Now there's nothing fantastic about that, is there? There's nothing in there that you're like, Oh, I never would have thought to ask God that. That's the secret key. That's the combination. There's nothing special in there. But what it is, is it's genuine. And it's full of faith. It's honest and it's full of faith. There's a man I, I read and listen to a lot. His name is C.J. Mahaney. I'd recommend it. Uh, great preacher. Just God has really used him in my life. And he's one of those guys that I'm like, I just wonder what it looks like for him when he reads the Bible. What does he say when he prays? And I heard an interview with him, and someone actually asked him about his prayer life. And he said very humbly, if you were a flaw on the wall and could hear my prayers, you would not be impressed. There's nothing impressive about it. He, like us, is just a man who needs God's help. So I have four, four things, four implications of this text for us. And I have plenty of time. This is great. Unless my watch is wrong. Which it must be because I've never had so much time. I have four implications for this text, okay? So if I've lost you, come back now. This is going to get practical and helpful. Number one, praying when life is hard is about honesty. Just be honest. It's not about eloquence or some formula. Just be honest with where you're at. And you may, be, you may be at a place where you're just like, God, I don't even know what to say. I know I need your help, but I don't know what to say. Just say that. Just, just pray. And be honest. Number two, praying when life is hard is dependent upon faith in God. This might be your biggest battlefront right now. For those in here who life is hard. This might be the toughest part. The toughest part may be really trusting that this God is there, that this God hears, that this God cares, that this God is powerful enough and will do something. 
I wonder if David struggled with that too. As much as God did in David's life, I wonder if he struggled with it too. And the reason I wonder is look at verse 5. He just got done talking about how he, how he just feels terrible. Life is hard. And then he says in verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the works of your hands. It's sort of interjection, this, this statement of stuff he's doing. And basically what he's saying is, I, I'm thinking about you. I'm trying to remember who you are. I'm trying to remember the things you've done in my life. I'm, I'm meditating on all your doings. I'm reading your word. I'm just I'm trying to remind myself of you, of who you are. I muse on the works of your hands. That, that I think, means basically to talk about things you've done. It's like he's trying to stir up within him the faith that he needs to pray. And that might be what you mainly need to do. It might not be that right now you need to pray more. You might need to focus on trying to remember who God is you're praying to. Praying when life is hard is about honesty. It's dependent on faith. The third thing, praying when life is hard puts God in the center. Praying when life is hard puts God in the center. I want to show you what I mean. I want you to look at David's progression as he prays. In verse 7, he starts really praying. And, and David is central here. And as he goes, as he prays, God becomes central. Try to follow along with me if you can. In verse 7. And don't look at what he asks. Look at what he says along with the things that he asks for. He says, Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. See, it starts to shift. He enters his praying and he's thinking about, David, I am going to die if you don't answer me. I can't do this any longer. And as he prays, he shifts to where he says, But I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And then it shifts even again as you enter verse 11. Where his declarations about God come even before his prayer requests. He says, for the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies. And destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. I don't know if you're able to follow me there. But the, the way it progresses is, he starts off, just seems to just be exhausted. And with each request he makes, and each declaration about God that he bases his request on, it's like he's pulling himself on a rope. To God. He started where David is central, and he's pulling himself to where God is more and more central in his heart, in his situation, in his life. Praying when life is hard puts God back at the center where he belongs. Because when life is hard, I put myself at the center of everything. Because my life is hard. As we pray, I think David gives us a good example. As we pray, we should disappear. And God should become more clear in our thinking. It's like a disappearing act the more we pray. We stop thinking so much about me and my plight. I start thinking more about God and His righteousness in it. 
and how He provides and how I can trust Him. The fourth thing, praying when life is hard leads to serving God. Look at how it all ends up. The very last phrase of verse 12. All of this, all this struggle, all this prayer ends it, punctuates it with, for I am your servant. Here's a little tip about prayer. Your praying is off target if at the end of it you're not clear about the fact that you're God's servant. Let me rephrase that a little more clearly. Your praying is off target if the aim of it is to make God be your servant. If your wrestling is in prayer is to try to get God to do what you think He ought to do, then your praying has flip-flopped and you're the center of it. Your praying is on target if it makes you His servant. I hope I'm saying that clearly. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly. The result of our praying should be that we are more clear about the fact that we need to serve God because He is God. The result should not be frustration because God is not serving me. So praying with life and heart is hard. It's about honesty. It's about faith. It's about putting God in the center. It's about serving God. So how are you doing? You should be doing well according to my watch because I'm ready early. How are you really doing? I had a conversation with someone this week about how he went through something very difficult. And he said he knew when some people asked how are you doing, they really wanted to know how he was doing. And other people, when they asked how he was doing, they didn't really want to know. They were just saying hi. How are you doing? We're about to sing a final hymn. I want to invite all of you who are not fine to pray. And you can pray here, up front. You can pray at your seat, wherever you're most comfortable praying. Genuinely. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm up here. I'll even stand down here so I'm available. I want you to pray honestly. I want you to pray with faith because He is good and He is powerful. And I hope you will receive His answer. You'll receive His attention. You'll sense His love. You'll learn from Him how to walk and how to do His will. You'll claim your freedom, the, the new life that Christ bought for you on the cross. And I just want to make one thing clear. Praying is not a discipline that will make you acceptable to God. Through Christ, you are acceptable to God. And now you can pray. So let's pray. And may the parched desert lands that are present in our church, may they just be refreshed by storms of God's presence, even today as we pray. Please bow with me as we spend some time in prayer together. Father, you know our hearts and you know the situation of every person in there. Please teach us to pray. Please call us to prayer. Help us to see clearly when we're becoming like a parched desert land and we just are thirsty for you. I pray for all those whose lives are hard right now. 
I just pray for your grace for them. I pray that you would strengthen their faith in you. That you would remind them of who you are. Enable them to... I just enable them to pray in such a way that you become the center of their lives. And that they can serve you in the midst of pain. It's not unchristian to be in pain and to be struggling. This world is full of pain and will be until Jesus returns. I thank you that he will return. I thank you that he came. And that thanks to him we have new life. We have access to you through Jesus. That we're acceptable to you through Jesus. That we can pray. So please be with each person in here today as they go. Protect them from the evil one. Lord, may they taste, taste the joy that is found in you through Christ, even in the midst of, of the pain. I don't know why our church is going through a season of such struggle right now. It just seems like every time we turn around, someone else is, is really struggling. But I know that you can work all things together for good, and we trust you for it. So we go forth from here joyful. Looking forward to seeing what you're going to do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray.